Are you making a film? Movie Maker Production Services wants to help you make it better, faster, and for less. We work with our network of industry partners to cut your costs in half. And you can learn more at moviemaker.com slash MMPS. That's moviemaker.com slash MMPS. Hey, I'm Tim Malloy, and welcome to Movie Maker. Our guest today is a British-American film composer named Saul Hudson from Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom, but you may know him as Slash. Slash executive produced and wrote the music for the wonderfully grisly new horror film The Breach from director Rodrigo Godinho, founding editor of the Canadian horror magazine Rue Morgue. It's about a chief of police who's about to leave the job when a body that's been hideously defiled turns up on the Porcupine River. The film just played the Fantasia Film Festival, one of my absolute favorite film festivals, and you should stay tuned for news about how you'll be able to see the film beyond the festival circuit. As you probably know, Slash is one of the greatest rock guitarists of all time, but you may not know that he's also done a lot of film work, including for Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. We talk about his favorite movies, his love of horror films like The Breach, how Thor Love and Thunder ended up with so many glorious Guns N' Roses songs, and why there will never ever be a Guns N' Roses movie, or a Slash movie, at least not if Slash has anything to say about it. Oh, and if you think I'm fanning out in this interview, believe me, this was me keeping it in check. Guns N' Roses is far and away the best live band I've ever heard, as you're about to hear me tell, Mr. Hudson. And so, without further ado, here's Slash. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this and not to be super weird, but I noticed that it was July 29th. And so I went and checked when the first concert I ever went to was and pretty much 30 years ago today, I begged a girl in my church youth group to let me go with her to Guns N' Roses. It's the first show I ever saw. (laughs) First and best show I've ever seen. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So that's that's killer. Where, Where was that? Where? That was the Great Western Forum. Use your illusion. Oh, here in Los Angeles. Yeah, thirty-one wow. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was there too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. You played the Godfather theme, among other things. Yeah, I think we did a. If I remember correctly, we did a couple nights there, and we mm-hmm. had the couch with the acoustic thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good times. Axel told us to steal the album if we couldn't afford it. <laughs> remember that that's how that's how effective some of that shit must be you know so you say stuff like that in passing and somebody actually remembers it's pretty funny <laughs> man so congratulations on this movie well cool you know i'm really excited about it um it was it was something that you know there was a lot of obstacles uh presented you know in the way of the pandemic and and you know it was just one of those things to see it actually you know, being released and playing at the festivals at this point is really exciting. Yeah. How did you get involved with it? Because I imagine there's a million people. Well, you know, I've been hustling, uh, you know, trying to produce movies um, s- since the last one that I did, which was all the way back in 2013. But I I had met Rodrigo, um, the director, and, and he also uh, sort of wrote the screenplay. Um, he, he and I have been friends for a long time. We talk about scripts together and this, that, and he, he and I almost worked on a project back in like 2015 or something like that, 2014. Anyway, and it didn't happen. And then he, uh, was given this particular story 
to uh, sort of write a working script from. And he finished it and sent it to me and says, you know, was asking if I was interested because he knew it would be up my alley, which it was. And I loved the script. And so we decided let's pursue this. And we hooked up with Raven's Banner, who got it financed and really at the end of the day, really got it made. And uh, so here we are. What about it was up your alley? Um, well, you know, I'm I'm a, an old school sort of horror fan. And the fact that this had this sort of like, we, we've been we've been using Lovecraftian kind of references on this, but it definitely had sort of a slow burn sort of 70s aesthetic, you know, yeah. and uh, and 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 uh, there was a suspense thing because you really don't know what the fuck is going on until the last act. And it's just it's the kind of thing where for me, it's more cerebral than it is just everything, you know, spilled out onto the screen and. And so he he knew he knows my style, so he knew I would dig it. Not really in terms of the subject matter, but in terms of the style, it reminded me a little bit of Last House on the Left, the original one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hadn't thought about that myself, but yeah, I could, I can, I can appreciate that for sure. Like the woodsiness and also your score, because in that movie, you think they're gonna go for like you know real horror violins or something, and they just go for this like very creepy acoustic stuff. Right. Well, I, I had I definitely hadn't thought about that when I got into this, but that totally yeah, that's you're you're very right about that. Um, with 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 this thing, um, you know, when I first read the script and started coming up with ideas for the music, I had the the um, the idea for the opening credit uh, opening credits, which was this ominous riff. <laughs> you know, and that I was I was really stuck to, and um, uh, Rodrigo introduced me to a scoring composer that was going to do the bulk of the film because I was only going to write here and there. I, I don't I don't really have the wherewithal to score an entire movie. Um, I just have the patience to sit down that long. So so uh, I I hooked up with this guy and we went back and forth and taking this particular melody that I had and making it really ominous and heavy for the intro. But then for the other parts throughout the movie that I did, everything just seemed to work on acoustic, very sparse and sort of naked, you know? Yeah. Who was the guy you worked with? You know what? I don't remember his name. He is, and I, it's actually, you know, uh, he lives, I, I actually almost just met him. He lives in Germany. <laughs> and I can't remember his name because it's very German. He and I have talked on the phone. We had a great time doing the long distance thing, working on this because this was all happening during the pandemic. Yeah. So uh, the fact that it actually got shot was a miracle unto itself. But um, so he, uh, the composer and I were working uh, via telephone and satellite to to do this to 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 collaborate on the the uh the uh opening title sequence so did you have any rules for what you wanted this theme to be or how to write a harder a horror score in general for a horror score no i mean i just i've been i've been working here and there on movies for since before the one, the, the last one that I produced, which I scored that one too. And I scored another movie um, in 2009 called This Is Not A Movie, which was a really cool, very indie, 
little uh, horror movie by an, a guy named Alayo Rubio, who is mm -hmm. a director, Mexican guy. Um, but other than that, I've, I've written bits and pieces for things for, for Quentin Tarantino. I worked on two of his movies, and I actually have a single in adult contemporary radio that was actually written. It, it was in one of these movies that Quentin produced that I wrote music for, which is interesting because it just popped up on the radio. And I was like, that's that that's that instrumental for that movie. Anyway, so but I've been doing this. So I just write whatever it is that I feel. Um, you know, it be, being that I'm a guitar player and, and sort of recognized for doing, you know, sort of loud, boisterous, hard rock stuff, um, that does not hardly ever apply when I'm writing something for a movie. It usually, um, you know, every script I've written sort of pulls me in another direction. Um, you know, that being said, you can have a rock song in a movie and that's great, but as far as the actual score is concerned, it can be something that's super, super light, or it can be a lot of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, stand up bass and cello, you know? So, and so anything I write, if I write it on the guitar, it needs to be transposed into the instrument that is going to be appropriate for the movie. Yeah. Did you think, did you try to play with expectation at all? Like people expect you to go big, you go small, expect you to go small, you go big. I don't, I don't, I, I can't be bothered with it whatever the people's expectations are. I mean, the variables in that alone would make you crazy if you start thinking really about what other people's expectations are gonna be. You just have to sort of just follow your gut instinct. And then once you've established that, you can think, now is that gonna make sense to anybody else listening you know, or not? But even then, I don't really, I just do what I think is going to work and what sounds good to me and then just go from there. I always have done. Yeah. So what's your process? Do you read the script and then just think for a while? Or what do yeah, you do? It really, it really is inspired by the script. I mean, it happens really quickly. Like you'll be reading the script and if you just let your mind wander as far as uh, musically what, what it, it inspires, then it, it happens relatively fast. Um, and then also like in, in, for the, for the, internal music that we did uh you know in a couple of different scenes inside the movie they had sent me uh, rodrigo had been sending me dailies and i said well what are you what are you looking for you know um because that's always who is the one that's really driving what's going to be in the movie anyways the director so like you know let's cut to the chase what exactly are you looking for and where and so in those discussions, he was sending, you know, and sending me scenes, then I'd be able to sort of um, look at a scene and feel what that sounds like to me, you know, in, in this case with those acoustic bits, you know. Was your Tarantino process the same? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I didn't have a script for the Tarantino one. Um, I, there was just, there was one, Foxy Brown was one of the movies and I don't even remember how we did that, but I don't remember having a script for Foxy Brown or for Curdled, which was a movie, really great little indie movie that, that Quentin produced. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I was just going off the vibe of the lead character, Angela Jones, who was in Pulp Fiction. She played the Latino cab driver. Yeah, she played. Uh, it's funny because she's from Pittsburgh and she's not Latino at all. But <laughs> she played a, a a Latino forensic cleanup crew member 
And so I just wrote something uh, that sort of reminded me of a young, sexy Latin girl, <laughs> you know? And that's how that went. Uh, for Foxy Brown, I don't even remember, you know, what I was going off of back then. I mean, I've, I've always been sort of, I've had more experience now, so I sort of know what I'm doing. But back then, I was just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah. Um, have you talked to other people who are better, who are best known for, like, sort of, I'm going to say like popular music as opposed to film music, like The RZA or anybody like that, about making the transition? To who? RZA? Yeah. Um, no, to tell you the truth. I mean, the only person I've even ever talked to from the, from the music business about films in, at all was, was Rob Zombie at one point, and that was really in passing. So this is really something that I've just been doing for myself personally, because I have a, an aptitude for it, and I enjoy it, and it takes me out of what it is that I do, you know, pretty much most of the time. <laughs> And I, I love the the I love the 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 sort of escape to do something that it it pulls something different out of me than what I normally do. So how how is it different? Is it more internal? Yeah, well, you know, like when you were writing for, you know, like I, I have a, a session today, right? And I'll go in and I just it's rock and roll and you just sort of wing it and you you uh, improvise and just go for it. And it happens in the moment. Whereas with with scoring, you know, you you're you're using a different part of your brain. You're you're taking in the information of an environment and a, a and a mood and a certain kind of personality, and then you're whatever that evokes in you comes out melodically, and it's a whole different kind of a process. And I find that I write way different than I write for you know what I would do in Guns N' Roses or my solo band or any of that kind of stuff and so I, I enjoy that because it happens very easily very naturally you know and I've always really really loved um uh music scores anyway yeah you know, that's always fascinating me I, I didn't aspire to do that there was no point where I said god I really want to write for movies it just sort of fell in my lap but that said, for me, the most the, the best entertainment experience has always been a great movie with the right audio, with the right, you know, music behind it. There's nothing that combination when put together properly, there's nothing can beat it. Well, I think the first Guns N' Roses song I ever heard was in that Dirty Harry movie. And then when you guys did You Could Be Mine in Terminator 2, that was absurd. Like you were in the video for that too. And like the, the hype around around me and my friends the hype was insane <laughs> and then and then when i saw thor love and thunder i was just in ecstasy because i didn't realize that i was going to hear your songs pump through speakers for two hours yeah i i haven't even seen it yet i mean initially that started with welcome to the jungle i think was the song that they were using or maybe it was paradise no it was paradise city and they were using it for a trailer yeah, and that's how it started, and it was just that. And then they sent another request to be able to use it twice. And then there was another request, another request. I don't even know how it got to where it is now, where there's so apparently there's music throughout the whole movie. So I have I, I have to go see it, but I, I haven't done it because I feel like it's I'm going to be very uncomfortable sitting in a theater watching this movie and listening to us play. You know, um, it's but uh, great. <laughs> 
it's great but music and movies i mean like when i was a kid there was there was a great uh paramount movie called harold and maude that was nothing but cat stevens throughout the whole movie and then you think about easy rider which was a fucking you know uh, a great sort of uh canvas for all these great sort of culture rock and roll songs at the time um uh, uh, so so there's that but then you actually have great music scores like john williams and you have hans zimmer now and you have you know some of these great guys like danny elfman who are you know big iconic names in the film business and then you have some of these smaller more unknown artists that just end up writing a score for one movie and you're just like god that was brilliant or you have guys like geniuses like Ennio Marconi who yeah. have written and George, and, uh, George Moroder and all these these great guys so I've always been really uh, in love with movie scores we like all the same things which I guess makes sense because <laughs> if I like your music we probably have the same same people that we like in common but uh yeah, particularly that Hans Zimmer song, Time, from Inception, I think is like one of the yeah. most... Yeah. It is, and I actually learned how to play that because it's just such a... It's such a, uh, a, a wonderful, simple melody, and it's so strong. And I, I learned more about that particular piece recently because I didn't, I didn't think much about it in the context of the movie because I wasn't really into the movie. But I always, the music stuck with me, but I, you know, and then I heard it later separated from the movie and it was just a really great piece of music. And then I found out that this was this thing that he's been building for years. Um, that particular piece of music has had a lot of incarnations, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a mind blowing piece of music. Yeah. Do you remember the first movie you saw in a theater? Huh. No, I mean, I, I would imagine, like, uh, I spent the first six years of my life in, in England, mm -hmm. a small town, and I do remember seeing um, a couple, I, I remember seeing Fantasia back mm -hmm. then, and I also remember seeing Lady and the Tramp back then. Um, okay. But then my parents took me to movies all the time when I was really little, so I could have been other movies I saw that were more adult um in in london when i moved to the states I, I saw everything with those guys and so that's how i first saw night of the living dead and first saw the omen and first saw the exorcist and like all these great horror movies anyway but so the first the first movie that comes to mind that i saw in a theater was fantasia which was pretty epic why do you think you were drawn to horror so much when you were a kid i mean was that just what was popular you know, it's just some, one of those things that I think is just part of your wiring because, you know, it's not like you see something scary and, and I mean, you know what I mean? It's like you see something and it attracts you right away. So it's already innately there. Mm -hmm. So I gravitated towards horror stuff, you know, especially the classics and, you know, like old English, especially because at the time it was all Hammer movies that I was watching, mm -hmm. you know, Vincent Price movies and, um, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and, and those guys. Um, and so I was just automatically attracted to that and snakes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it was just, I was hardwired for that. And my, my parents, you know, to make parenting easier, just, you know, s surrounded me with stuff that I liked.
you know so and my mom was a big horror movie fan and my dad was really into horror literature so he got me reading really early yeah um yeah so i started with ray barberry and and um lovecraft and edgar Allan poe and and bunch of other stuff but I can't those are the main big names that I remember but um I remember there was there was a, a really great series of cassettes that my dad gave me when I was really little which was Orson Welles doing War of the Worlds mm. did you ever hear about that he did a oh, yeah. War of the Worlds and, and everybody thought it was real <laughs> yeah and uh anyway and I had those cassettes so I was just drawn to that stuff yeah I just interviewed a bunch of filmmakers ages 18 to 22 and I was shocked to find out that all of them really prefer film to short videos and TikToks and stuff like that. And also they're all super into music and like pretty much like music with instruments, rock music. Mm -hmm. Do you worry about like the future of rock music? Like, is it over or do you worry about the future of film? Is that being over? Um, I mean, with rock music, because I've been, you know, that's what I've been doing all my life. Um, you you have these concerns about where it's headed sometimes. I just sort of do what it is that I do. And it's never really been an issue as to how that fits into everything else, especially nowadays. But, the, you know, the medium of, of rock and roll, as I understood it, and what turned me on to it has been severely diluted over the last 20 years and but i also see kids that are like picking up on what it was really about back when it was really cool and and the rawness of that and and the and and just getting excited about that it's not about the limos it's not about the the glamour of it which was you know one of the 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 biggest issues with rock music after it became such a huge commercial success in the in the you know from the late 70s through the entire 80s into the 90s um the music and rock and roll became the biggest industry of anything in the entertainment world um the most successful and then it died a miserable death when when the, uh, the advent of streaming came. <laughs> you yeah. know or file sharing and all that kind of stuff it really the record business really took a hard fall and it's not recovered from it yet but uh, the, the thing that was inspiring kids to pick up instruments was so that they can be seen, so you can be famous, and so you can make a lot of money, and you can get girls, and this and that and the other, which it's always sort of, there's always been a little bit of that, but it really became the dr driving creative force. You know, we came to the point where it's like, well, I can go to the record companies and ask them what I could do to sell more, to sell records that, you know what I mean? Like, how can I help you? Right. And I think so anyway, so and I, I, I fear now that that some of these changes in in the film industry as far as how we watch movies and you know the whole digital aspect of it and streaming and all that kind of stuff, I it's now having an adverse effect on the movie industry like it did on the on the music industry. And so I'm sort of scared to see where that's going you know and then we had the pandemic which took everybody out of theaters and into their homes then i don't know if they're ever going to really properly fix that you know yeah so it's 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 i mean all you can say is it's interesting i i i never get to be too forlorn about it and go oh it's so sad what's happening you know because things come and go and change and you know, things turn around and whatnot. And so you just sort of have to <laughs> just ride the wave, you know? Well, I mean, you're in the forever books, whatever happens. So 
<laughs> you're secure. Um, but I mean, you know, those, those things secure, uh, secure, those things do concern me from time to time, but in the film business now it, it does because, you know, it's like everything is on TV. And I think Spielberg said something about that at one point. And, and I don't know if there's really that much you can do about it. It's, it's, it's moving in that direction, uh, you know, so heavily at this point that, uh, I don't know, I don't think it will ever go back to, you know, where it's the magic of being in front of a, a big screen as as opposed to being at home watching it in front of the smaller screen. Seems like like the smaller screen is really winning out at this point. Did you think about this movie, The Breach, being on a small screen versus a big screen? Did you think it would be on one or the well, other? The, you know, the thing is, is whenever you're, I'm, I'm still sort of old school. So I think in terms of, of old fashioned, you know, what I'm used to. So I, you know, because this was a feature length movie, I just, I automatically thought about it in a big screen. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the way that, that, that low budget sort of genre movies go is a lot of them don't even make it to the big screen, really, you know, they end up going straight to DVD and straight to, um, what do you call it? P, uh, what's pay-per-view called or? Yeah, VOD or. Yeah. Anyway, so so you know that's that's sort of a reality that I haven't really gotten used to thinking about in the in the in the beginning. You know, you start to think about it a little bit later as the film's being released and it's about to get picked up by you know somebody who is obviously going to figure out the best way that they're going to make money off of it. Hey, I'll I know I've gone forever, but I just have one more thing that just occurred to me. After Bohemian Rhapsody and everything, did anybody come to you or have people been coming to you for years trying to make a Guns N' Roses movie? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a funny one. Um, people have come to make the Guns N' Roses movie, and then I had people coming to me about doing a movie when I after I think it was after I wrote my book. Yeah, and looks people great. To do that, and um, it's just not something that you know the. the um, collectively we sort of just not interested yeah you know? um and i i can't imagine trying to find some actors that can portray the band properly I mean, I mean rock and roll movies suffer from being just super super corny and and unrealistic anyway you know as as a whole um you know there's very few really good um rock and roll movies so i would hate to sell us ourselves out to you know uh with some sort of script that's supposed to depict our history you know <laughs> i don't see it happening and not a slash movie either no nah, no nah, i definitely didn't want to do that <laughs>